you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 18. Paul was writing this letter to a church he loved, a church that was certainly not perfect, as is any church. We are all sinners in need of God's grace. And he was writing to them about what unified them together, and that was the message of the cross, the, the power that had saved them. They were living in a world that tra kept trying to convince them that they were foolish to believe God. Sound anything like the world you're living in? Well, when Paul wrote this letter of 1 Corinthians, he wrote it to help remind them of a message, the greatest message God's ever given, the message of the cross. Here's how he wrote it, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Let's pray for a moment. God, this is your word, a word that still speaks to us, a message that is still saving people who believe it. As we open this up today, as we come to this table to remember, I ask God that you get a hold of each of our lives. Today, there are some who need to open their hearts to you for the first time and really receive you into their lives and be forgiven. For others, they've known you for a while, but they've turned away, God, and they, they need to be coming back. And you know who they are. And God, there are also those today who simply are trying to be faithful. And we need you to encourage each of them and help them to stay strong. So as we open this word today, God, speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stovall Weems, in his book, The God First Life, was telling the story of George Owen Walton, who was born in 1907. He was uh, from Rocky Mount, Virginia. As an estate appraiser, he had first dibs on rare coins, gun, jewelry, stamps, books, and he built up quite a collection because he would often uh, find these things in estates that he was selling. When Walton, in 1945, came across an opportunity, he couldn't pass it up. In 1913, there were five Liberty Head nickels printed by the U.S. Mint. Five total. They're worth a fortune. They're super collector's items. When George Walton learned he had an opportunity in 1945 to buy one, he did. Can you imagine this? In 1945, he paid 3750 bucks for this nickel. That's a fortune. 
in any day, but in 1945, it was huge. When Walton died in a car crash in 1962, his family was shocked to discover that appraisers surprisingly declared his nickel to be a fake. They marked it of no value, returned it to the disappointed family, and the coin stayed hidden in a strongbox in the floor of a closet for decades. Eventually, Walton's nephew, Ryan Givens, inherited the nickel, and even though he had been uh, alerted to the fact that it was labeled a counterfeit, there was something about his uncle that made him give it another try. In fact, in 2003, the four other 1913 Liberty Head nickels went on display, and a reward was offered of a million dollars for anybody could produce the fifth and missing nickel. Givens thought it'll be worth a shot. So he brought his nickel in, and after hours of comparing and contrasting and evaluation by six of the top coin experts in the world, they asserted that nickel was indeed the real deal. Eventually, Givens sold the nickel for $3.1 million, a hundred years after it was originally minted. Imagine a coin worth more than $3 million, it said in the book, collecting dust in the back corner of a closet for decades and decades because it seemed worthless even in the eyes of some experts. You know, when I read that story, I thought, that's the message of the cross, right there. That coin is like the message of the cross. A message that in itself is inherently priceless but a message that is worthless to those who neither perceive it or hear it or believe its value. So the life-saving good news of salvation through the death of Jesus gets shoved to the side and buried in the dust of our worldly pursuits. But as Paul said, it may be foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. And that power of God and the message of the cross on which Jesus died is what we're remembering today at communion. Communion is a remembrance of the death of Jesus. It's a memorial. It's not just some ritual. But on the other hand, eating this will not get you saved. It won't make you a Christian. It won't earn you salvation. It won't get you forgiven. The only way to be saved from what sin has done is to alienate us from God is to come into a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ his death, burial, and resurrection, and to believe that his payment on the cross was sufficient payment for our sin, and by faith we open our hearts to Jesus and ask him to come in, to actually live here, to forgive us, and we become followers of this Christ who saved us from eternal death. Eating this communion won't do that for you, but eating this meal, as Jesus intended, can help us remember his death on a cross and the powerful message of that cross that still saving people who believe it. Because as Paul tells these Corinthians, what we believe concerning the message of the cross determines our eternal destiny. What do people believe about the message of the cross? The apostle said, it is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is the power of God to those who are being saved. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Paul said in verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. In verse 25, he said, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, 
and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You ever heard of the organization called Mensa? I had never heard of it, and there may be a good reason. I would never qualify to be a part of it. In fact, I'm not even sure I could read the instructions to be a part of it. Mensa is a unique organization, and members have to have an IQ of 140 or higher just to be considered. Obvious to say, I'll never be included. But a few years ago, there was a Mensa convention in San Francisco. During one of the lunch breaks, some of the Mensa members went out to a local cafe. And as they sat there waiting for their food, they noticed that the salt shaker labeled salt had pepper in it, and the pepper shaker had salt in it. And so they sat there thinking, how can we swap the contents of the bottles without spilling, using only implements at hand? Clearly, this was a job for Mensa. So the group <laughs> debated and presented ideas and finally came up with a brilliant solution, actually, involving a napkin, a straw, and an empty saucer. Amazing. And they called the waitress over to dazzle her with their solution. Ma'am, they said, we couldn't help but notice that the pepper shaker contains salt and the salt shaker contains pepper. Oh, the waitress interrupted. I am so sorry about that. She reached down, unscrewed the taps, and switched them and screwed them back on. <laughs> Intelligence is no measure of wisdom. Paul said in verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. See, God has given mankind an incredible computer. It's called the brain. And it has an enormous capacity to store information. We call that intelligence. Wisdom is the ability to take that information, extract out its truth, and apply it in a right and proper response to God. That's wisdom. Whenever people hear God's truth and call it foolishness, it demonstrates they have no wisdom. In fact, God says such people who reject his truth have themselves become fools. That's the word he used. You see, that's what some people have been doing with God's messages from the beginning. Every message God sends, some people call foolish. And by the way, the word foolish here is the word that means stupid, silly. That's how the world views God's message most of the time. They called foolish the message of creation. Remember that? God created all things, designed, ordered, intricate, complex, beautiful. So clearly that his eternal power and divine nature can be clearly seen in the things he's made, Paul said. In fact, in Romans 1, Paul said that God related that you have to be a fool to look out at the world and all of its intricacy and say that somehow this came about by accident or by chance. It's, it's so clearly of design. God said you'd have to be a fool not to believe it. Romans 1 verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. 
but their thinking became futile and their foolish, stupid, silly hearts, is the word, were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, and reptiles. And people, we, we willingly teach this nonsense in our public schools and universities, and we wonder where wisdom has gone. Not only do they call foolish the message of creation, they call foolish the message of the manger. You remember? God becoming flesh, virgins giving birth, the savior of the world, the baby. Ridiculous. And so what we've done is we've allowed the world that calls the message of the manger ridiculous to steal the greatest message God's ever sent. That God has come in human flesh, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went to a cross and died, paid for our sins, was buried in a tomb, rose again and appeared, and is offering hope, forgiveness, and eternal life to all who believe. And they've taken this great message of the cross, which the world calls foolishness, and we've allowed them to turn it into what? A winter holiday. They call foolish the message of creation. They call foolish the message of the manger. They call foolish the message of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.22, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. You see, the Jews stumbled over the message of the cross. An unemployed carpenter from Nazareth is our Messiah. This itinerant preacher is God in human flesh. This God-man, you're telling us, is going to save the world by dying on a cross, a Roman implement of execution of shame and guilt and disgrace? No, we're looking for someone very different, the Jews said. No matter 2,000 years of predictions, no matter that he fulfills every prophecy, no matter the amazing miracles, no matter the incredible teaching, no matter the sinless life and the inexhaustible love, no matter the countless witnesses, this guy can't be the Messiah. So they stumbled over him. The Gentiles thought the message of the cross foolish. A bunch of myths, fabrications, illogical stories. In fact, the world says what? Our wise men, our scholars, our philosophers and scientists, they have a lot more intelligent explanations of all these things. In fact, wise and intelligent people don't fall for this kind of nonsense. It's only you narrow-minded, unintelligent, religious people. God became a man, they say, dying for our sins as though somehow we did something wrong, rising the third day, being the only way to God. How narrow-minded can you be? Nonsense. Paul said that's why they perish. Verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The word perishing means being destroyed. That's literally what it means. But it's not a sense of ceasing to exist. It's living a life that's purely in existence. There's no life in it. Literally, it's empty, hollow, meaningless. That's life without Jesus. 
and it ends up being an eternal existence of total aloneness, separation from God and everyone else in a meaningless, destructive eternity. In fact, that word perishing, the Greek verb, indicates a completion of a process of destruction that's already underway in the lives of those who have rejected the truth of the cross. It's already underway. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 19, for it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent of the intelligent, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? They're lost. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. I've been called a fool a number of times. People call me that now. I say, you know what? You're right. I'm a fool for Christ because I'm actually foolish enough to believe the message of the cross. Foolishness to those who are perishing, but the message of the cross is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. Paul said in verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The message of the cross is the message of the gospel, and there is power to transform lives when they believe this. Nepal is the birthplace of Siddhartha Gautama, the first Buddha. It is also, reportedly, the only official Hindu kingdom in the world. According to C. Peter Wagner, former professor of church growth at Fuller Seminary, Many missiologists considered the Himalayan region a hopeless case for Christianity. However, some years ago in the late 90s, the Lord saved a man named Lok Bandari, L-O-K Bandari. He was a revolutionary freedom fighter in Nepal, a national martial arts champion whose father was grooming him to be prime minister of Nepal. Locke heard the gospel, and he was foolish enough to believe it, and it transformed his life. In fact, he became an ambassador for Christ in the country of Nepal, and he began speaking to crowds that grew to 65 and 70,000 people as he told them about the power of the gospel and the message of the cross. He's been arrested and detained more than 30 times. He has been severely persecuted for his stand for Christ. Today, and I checked the number this week, officially, 60 years ago, there were no Christians in Nepal. None. No known believers. Today, 
there are 760,000 people who are followers of Jesus Christ. People, that's the power of the gospel. Released through one man and then many others who came to believe who were foolish enough to believe its message. It was the power of the gospel in that message that saved the apostle Paul. Remember him? The Jew? The Pharisee? Who gave his life to persecuting Christians? But when he heard the good news of Jesus Christ, it saved him and transformed his life. It was the power of the gospel in that message that saved me 39 years ago when I was a crazy and misguided 25-year-old man. And it's the power of the gospel in that message of the cross that's still saving people today who are foolish enough to believe it. That's why Paul told the Romans in Romans 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. People, it's not the cross that has the power. I love the fact that we have a cross back here. I love the one that's behind it on the curtain. We have all kinds of different displays here and different scenes we put up communicating different messages for different series that we're doing. So whenever the cross is covered or taken down, we're not ashamed of it. We're proud of it. That's why we have it up. But you need to understand there is no power in that cross. There's no power in that cross. There's no power in the cross you hang around your neck. Many people use those like a talisman or a good luck charm. Nothing wrong with wearing a cross, but there's no power in that cross. It won't protect you. It doesn't bring you any blessing. There's no spiritual energy in that thing. There's no power in the cross. There was no power in the cross that Jesus died on. It was a piece of wood. The power is not in the cross. The power is in the message of the cross and in the one who died on that cross. That message is that all of us have sinned, and that sin separates us from God, and we are living in a state of spiritual death. And if we die physically with that sin still in our lives, it will separate us from God forever in an alone and dark and agonizing destruction for eternity. But the good news of the message of the cross is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. People, this is why Christians are called to remember the death of Jesus and the message of the cross. Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And you never have to be ashamed of it. And the world will call foolish those who believe it. I don't know how many of us realize the devastating loss our nation has suffered with the death of Antonin Scalia, justice on the Supreme Court. By everything I've ever heard him say, everything I've ever read of him that he's written, 
He was a Catholic man who had a deep and vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. He believed the message of the cross. He's not just a staunch conservative on the bench. He was a constitutionalist. And considered by some to be one of the greatest jurists that's ever sat on the Supreme Court. And when you look at the history of that court, that is an amazing statement for anyone to make. He was an ardent defender of Christian rights. A few years ago, he was speaking to the Knights of Columbus Council in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And Antonin Scalia said this as a quote. He told them that morning, God assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would view Christians as fools. And he has not been disappointed. If I have brought any message today, it is this. Have the courage to have your wisdom regarded as stupidity. Be fools for Christ. And have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world. No wonder Paul wrote in verse 20, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And he's still saving people foolish enough to believe the message of the cross. For 62 years, a concrete cross, 29 feet high and weighing 20 tons, has sat atop Mount Soledad in San Diego. Since 1989, an ardent atheist named Philip Paulson has led a one-man crusade to have that cross removed. Paulson died in 2006, but others have picked up the pursuit. In 2006, President Bush transferred the property to federal land, made it part of a Korean War memorial, but still the controversy rages. Today, the cross is still being constantly litigated back and forth between parties who want to keep it and those who are fighting desperately to have it removed. And as of this week when I checked, both camps have no certainty about what the final outcome will be of whether or not the cross will be staying or whether it will be removed. People, when you read stuff like that, you have to ask the question, why is there such controversy over a cross? It's not the cross that's causing the controversy. It's the message of the cross that's causing the controversy. So someday... The cross on Mount Soledad may be removed. In fact, there may be a push to remove every cross displayed in public in America. It may become illegal, as it is in some countries, to wear a cross around your neck. We may even be forced to remove crosses from our churches. And you need to understand this. 
if every cross is removed from the face of the earth, the message of the cross will never be silenced as long as people like you and me are foolish enough to believe it and to stand with Jesus Christ for his glory. Communion is our reminder of the death of Jesus. A death he died on that cross to pay for our sin. And today at this table, we're remembering all that that means for us who have believed. This bread is my body, he said. This cup is my blood. It's given for you. It's given for you. And as often as you eat it, remember me. The one who died on a cross and who's still saving people who believe. Father, I want to thank you for this. I need this reminder. We all do. We live in a world that's so powerful trying to dumb down this message and try to convince us we are foolish to believe it. those who believe this message have believed God and have invited into their lives the very one who can save them from sin and who can give life that's truly life. Today, Lord, as we come to this table, help each of us to be honest about our relationship with you. To be honest about whether or not we have ever really believed really look to have you come to live your life in us. And I pray, God, that as we eat this today, you will be honored and remembered. For we do this for your glory, and we thank you in Jesus' name.